Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Savvy Girls Podcast. Yes, welcome. This is Deborah, and I am podcasting to you from Ottawa, Ontario. I'm beside you in bed. It's Sister Sandwich with knitting <laughs> in the middle. Uh, Melanie is obviously also in Ottawa, Ontario. In this episode, we are going to chit chat. We are going to. We're not tired at all. Not at all. And we have we have a guest. We have a lovely author guest on this podcast. And we're going to talk. I'm sure we will find things to say. We will. So enjoy the show. Enjoy this episode. And I say, wait, hey, hey, it's just an ordinary day. And it's all your state of mind. At the end of the day, you just got to say it's all right. Deborah, we're together. We are. Melanie's been visiting here in Ottawa for about the last week. It'll be a week, and I'm so lucky I got to see my little savvy sissy. And... We're tired. We're tired. Mm. Yeah, we're tired. It's been a busy week. My four-year-old kids, uh, so twins... I guess they're not toddlers anymore. No, they're definitely not. But we've been keeping them home from, from school for the last uh, few weeks because of Omicron, and they are not fully vaccinated, so, uh, you know, higher risk. Yeah, not by choice, but they're four. So they, yeah, well, they're right. Yeah. They're they're not fully vaccinated, so it's so yeah. much work taking care of them and working and surviving. Deborah's working full time and taking care of the kids, basically full time, and I am trying to get this a couple things done today. I had to write a song. <laughs> just you know, you that's my job. I just did because you put them to bed. I just got my song written. Not a songwriter, by the way. Not a songwriter, but you know, you do the work that you can get. Sometimes you are now. I am now. So uh, that'll, we'll get to that at an, another episode, I suppose, when, yeah. But they're adorable. They're just so exhausting. They have this thing called energy. And curiosity. And sibling conflict. Okay, actually, guys, <laughs> it's just that. It's that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. However, we don't want to spend the whole episode talking about kids. Or complaining. <laughs> Yeah. So have you been, what creative things have you been working on lately, Melanie? Well, as people know, I started, I'm so tired. I don't remember what the shawl was initially called. It's called the Dauphine shawl officially. And I had named it, was it the shawl of regret? And then it became the COVID shawl because I knit it when I had COVID. And then I gave it to Deborah. So it's now Deborah shawl. (laughs) (laughs) It has a lot of very, very good vibes in it. Every stitch she thought of me. I hated knitting that shawl, you guys. Partly because of the Hallmark movies that I, I watched while I knitted. I mean, I loved hanging out with, with Savvy Mom and watching Hallmark movies, but I just, I did not like that shawl. And then I did not like having COVID at all. At all. And I know I shouldn't make light of it because people, you know, people are dying. People get really sick. I had an incredibly mild case. And I know I've talked about it, but I was so put out that I, I'm sure I got it on the plane on the way to New York. So... Uh, because within 48 hours I had it and I hadn't been anywhere else. So I was knitting angrily. Well, and you're staying in a relatively loud neighborhood in New York. And mm-hmm. it was kind of lousy to arrive in New York and you had plans. Plans that were COVID, I say COVID safe, but it's rather COVID unsafe as in it was not unsafe for you, but unsafe for the disease transmission. It's, I had planned um, to see some friends. We had planned I'm, to do uh, things. No? No, what I'm saying is, okay, when people say like, you know, a march for cancer, it's not actually a march for cancer. It's a march like to raise money against cancer. So it's not a march for... Oh, I'm, I bought tickets to Hades Town. 
I don't know what that is. It's a Broadway show. I've been dying to see it. Oh, so it really was like not so COVID friendly. <laughs> no, I just. Oh, never mind. I, really I thought you were to planning see... to be careful, but I was obviously tell not. You... No, okay, guys, fully vaccinated. Been so Boosted. so careful. What? Boosted. Boosted. So careful. I just wanted to do a couple fun things. Just a couple. And honestly, people, I have been so responsible, and I didn't. Obviously not. Go to Hades. <laughs> I got it before I could even do anything. Uh, yeah, it was a preemptive infection. Preempt- yeah, so I, I mean, anyway. So I made your shawl. Thank you. Coughed all over it, then handed it to me. It's I didn't sort of have like, a cough. Like plague blankets. I just used it to wipe my nose. Delicious. That's that crusty bit. <laughs> oh, anyway, and also, look, all of that aside, the thing sheds. Which was the big problem. Which is a problem. I do not buy yarn. That just does, does yarn. Is yarn supposed to shed? Some of it. Really? Depends how, how loosely spun it is. Depends what fiber it's made of. The length of the fibers. I mean, I prefer non-shedding yarn. I unless, prefer non-shedding yarn. It usually makes me sh- sneezy. Unless it's in a shawl from your sister? Absolutely. Unless it's, it's the, if it's from the COVID shawl of doom, in which case I welcome the shedding. I just never want to see that beast again. <laughs> it's not even that big. No, it took so long, everyone. And also, I think on Christmas Eve, because I was in, I couldn't go anywhere. And I mean, I'm, we're Jewish, right? So I was really just going to go get Chinese food and bring it back, because that's what, what Jewish people tend to do on on Christmas, there's but... there's a history with this for those who don't know. I I'm not entirely sure, but I think historically Jewish people in I say North America, but Canada and the U.S. I think in particular on Christmas Eve nowhere was open except for Chinese food restaurants, and so historically that became a tradition of Jewish people on Christmas ordering and and eating Chinese food because they. You know, nowhere else was open. You had so. to celebrate something. Well, you had to get your your takeout from somewhere. Exactly. So. Anyway, so instead of doing that, I actually listened to my roommates. He was He's a professional singer, and he was singing at a church service. So I listened to him. They broadcast the church service. So, so you, went to, you, I went you enjoyed to a, nice, a nice mass. It was a bunch of carols. But my point is, I started a hat while doing that on, on Christmas Eve, and I finished it on New Year's Eve. That's the length of time it should take to knit something. Oh, like a week and a day. A week. Day. Like a week, a week, more or less. Yeah, a week. That's how long knitting should take, not... I don't know how many Hallmark movies. An airplane flight in COVID. That's <laughs> just no. Oh. Anyway. But it's lovely, and thank you for that. You're welcome. I'll take the matching hat. It is not made of shed material. It's worsted, actually. It's... um. I don't remember the name of the hat, guys. I've made a whole bunch of them. It's a very standard sort of boy's hat beanie made of worsted, and I made it out of, I think it's Madeline Tosh. We had bought this stuff, gosh, where was it? I think I think it was when we went to Stitches years ago, I bought it. Stitches South, I think, and I was making a shawl out of it, and then I unraveled the shawl because it was worsted, and it just, the shawl did not call for worsted. Anyway, and so this hat already had all the little, little kinks in it because it had been knit or the yarn had the kinks in it because Mm. it had been knit so it felt like secondhand knitting because i'd knit with it already you're supposed to like wind it into a like a hank and then like wet it and re-block it before you knit with it again secondhand knitting guys and no one ever told me that all right well i mean it's not that you have to it's just 
Is this what, like, your mom's supposed to teach you how to use a sanitary napkin and tell you about, you know... Does anyone call them a sanitary napkin anymore? I don't know. Your mom's supposed to teach you to use... Use... A... Pad? Pad. A sanitary napkin? <laughs> I don't know. And she's supposed to teach you how to... Put Did she show you how to put on the belt, too, that matches? I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I would not have done well in the 50s, 60s, whatever. God, I would have been terrible then. Anyway. There was not enough stretchy pants back then. No. And the only thing in the future was shoulder pads and then COVID. <laughs> That's it. That's what you had to look forward to. I know. I'm there were a few few years in between massive shoulder pads and COVID. That's not, it. No, clearly not enough. Not but. enough. Anyway, so that's my knitting. I am, before I leave for New York tomorrow, I plan to take a little stroll down Deborah's stash <laughs> and then maybe pick a yarn. <laughs> well, I'm not knitting it right now. But just one thing, maybe. And so, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. And I've been you've been doing a lot of drawing. Well, I start coloring. It's very different. <laughs> I've been printing coloring pages for my kids. Very simple. <laughs> I literally Google cute animal coloring pages. And then I think I colored an ostrich the other day. And how much did it hurt when one of the kids grabbed the crayon? And- I know I was nearing the very end of a very precise ostrich coloring job and she's like well I'll I'll finish that little corner and yes darling (laughs) and then I just had to look away (laughs) because she blued your ostrich yeah it was cute so I've been knitting have you not like while you were in town but I started making a pair of mittens please tell me so I wanted to make mittens out of yarn hand spun and it's hand spun that I made obviously many moons ago but I don't remember what kind of fiber it was out of, but a lovely natural gray. And I had done a cabled yarn. And cabled yarn is essentially, it's four plies, but it's, imagine one two-ply yarn, another two-ply yarn, and each of the two-ply yarns are, when you ply them, you over-ply them, you over-spin them, and then you ply them one on the other. So it's, Rather than four plies all going in the same direction, it's two two ply yarns that are plied together. So it creates a more mega ply. I want to say it's more of like a rectangular shape yarn that where the supposedly the it kind of the stitches sort of lock in one another or they kind of like sort of fit together like Legos rather than like being round and there's it's supposed to be warmer so from the time I spun this yarn I had in mind that I wanted to knit it into mittens because mittens are something that you know nice warm hands warm hands warm fingers so I started I started knitting this and I with mittens I'm I'm pretty picky about how I like them I like a one by one rib at the wrist and then I want to have thumb that is slightly offset from because you know your thumb doesn't come out of the immediate side of your hand it's slightly offset so you have to offset it by two or three stitches and then I want uh I don't like a rounded top I like the beginning of a pointed top so almost like the the toe of a sock but then I don't want it fully pointed I want to like I I always I always finish it and um Kitchener stitch with, I don't know, five or six stitches across. So all of this to say, I have this 
style of <laughs> of of mitten that I like to wear and every time I use a new yarn to knit it I have to figure out what needle size I'm going to use and I have to figure out how many stitches to cast on and then I have to figure out how many rounds to do before I start the thumb and how many anyways there seems there's a lot of figuring on the first mitten second mitten always goes very quickly as long as I've been good about writing down what I did on the first one but anyways I've started it and I've restarted it and then I restarted it again and I think I might be okay I'm starting the thumb on the first mitten <laughs> after many many restarts so I'm hoping this it's it's coming out quite stiff but is I because of make apply it's I think in part because it's I tend to overspin when I'm spinning I tend to overspin my yarn so it's always a little not as soft as it should be um it's that and then but I also think that I'm purpose I purposefully chose a needle size that would be small a smaller needle size in order for the uh there to be fewer holes in them because you don't want the air getting through mittens so I think it's okay if mittens are just a little bit stiff as long as they're nice and warm mm -hmm. anyways we'll see if if it's not if they're too stiff then I'll be ripping them out and starting them again no but also maybe likely I mean there's I've made just I've only actually made myself maybe one or two pairs of mittens that I absolutely adore there's the blue pair that I that are yeah. they're just the simple or the red pair. it's sort of reddish the beige no no the beige ones are from Swap Petition and they're yeah. wonderful I yeah, love those they're lovely no you have another pair they're sort of I haven't seen them now but they're kind of reddish orangish Huh. Are they full mittens? I don't know. Yes. Or are yes. they fingerless mittens? I don't know. I'm, I, I haven't know. seen them this trip. But I, I think you own them. I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. I don't know either. I mean, so there's one pair of mittens that I've made, and I've made each of my kids a, set, a pair of mittens if, of the same style. Um, Time to make some more mittens. Anyways, more mittens. But I find, like, it's just a lot of figuring for such a small project that uh, it's frustrating, but I really want the mittens. Fair enough. And I find, oh my goodness, hand-knit wool, proper wool mittens are so much warmer than anything anything that I've bought. And sometimes, like, I'll, I'll take off my mittens and I'm wearing this, what is probably a DK weight at most, a DK weight yarn of my hand-knit, my hand knit mittens and I'll take my mitten off and then I'll go to grab one of my kids hands and they're wearing you know store-bought mittens and like the proper winter store-bought mittens and their hands will be cold and my hands you can feel the difference of temperature makes a big difference if anybody has an idea of how I can double up on mittens for them because the store-bought ones are waterproof but the hand knit ones are warm so if there's an idea of I don't know, how do I do, like, a hand-knit mitten under the store-bought one? Or is there some sort of shell that I can... I don't know what. But my, I think of their, their hands being cold while my hands are toasty warm. Their little hands. Their little hands. Anyways, I've talked and talked about mittens that I have not yet... But it's knit. knitting. I, I realize I have a knitting thing I can talk about, too. Okay, go actually. for it. I mean, another... Anyway... So um, I'm touring soon. I'm actually performing, going on a performance tour, which I know. And I've done a couple. Look, since the pandemic started, I did some digital things. Some of it's still online. Some of it, I can link to a couple of the silly things I did. 
Um, and a couple less silly things. You know, I did some proper concerts too. And I, I was part of a couple of digital festivals. And I, I did a concert with the Edmonton, uh, members of the Edmonton Pops Orchestra outdoor, two outdoor concerts with them, one other outdoor concert anyway. And I, I did a run to a live actual during a dip in, in the cases. When the cases were really low, I did some performances in Edmonton and in Vancouver. But in two years... There have not been a lot of performances, obviously, and I, I have certain things coming up that may or may not go ahead. I've already canceled. I was supposed to sing in Southern Cal, well, not Southern Cal. I was supposed to sing in Fresno, and I was I canceled that just because case numbers are high, vaccination numbers are low. I'm trying to make good choices, although it's I'm really sad to be missing that. But but I do have a tour coming up in England, and I, I talked a tiny bit about that. And I will, I'll give more details because I just don't have the list of places. There are something like 14 different cities. Woo! I know. Yay! I can't, I can't believe it. You know, everyone else is talking about how they have no performances at all coming up. And I am so lucky. I have an agent there who managed to postpone my tour and, and actually expand it. But anyway, um, I was talking to her today, and I'm talking about, you no know, up here in Canada you know, 20 minutes away in Quebec, they have a curfew. You can't go out at night and indoor gatherings are very limited here and indoor dining is closed and things are very, and it should be with Omicron. I mean, that's where things should be right now. In the UK, she's like, now we're done. So I'm a little bit worried. I mean, theoretically, I've had Omicron. I've had three vaccinations, you know, I mean, I'm good. I'm renting a car instead of taking the train all over England. And there's a little bit of time till you go. So hopefully... Not the, that much time. How yeah. much time? It's in March. Oi. Well, it's right. I was going to say, hopefully it will have kind of sort of peaked and descended by then. But uh, it, I, not I, lot, that's not so long from now. I honestly... I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit worried. But also, I really want to perform again. But the knitting... Po- the whole point is, I think of these... 14 or 16 concerts all but two are my knitting show oh wow and i you know when she said she's like i booked you this great tour i was like oh is it french music is it vera lynn you know she recently died so like that would that would be appropriate to do or no 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 everyone wants historic knitting songs well who wouldn't right i kind of figured the rural communities of north thing northern England, but um obviously they want the knitting. They want the knitting. Apparently, like they've been very insistent that this is what they want. And so I have to take my one hour knitting show, expand it into two hours, and make a slideshow. So I will be um revisiting knitting history and knitting music. That's that's exciting. That's times. my yeah, and I will be knitting a lot in the show, I suppose. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of my knitting news. That's good knitting news. Yeah. So I guess let's move on to the next segment. Sure. So we have an author visit here on this episode today, and I actually love the fact that we talked to a few authors about their books and about their crafting and about connection to knitting and crafting, because 
I mean, it's when you walk into a bookstore, there are thousands of books, and I think it's well, thousands upon thousands, and actually other things like there are slippers. And I, I admit, often I go into a bookstore and I do go to the sale rack to see if there are slippers and cute little bags on sale. However, there are also thousands of books and thousands and thousands. And how do you know which book to get? How do you know which book? to even look at. And I just think that that getting to know the author and getting to know why they wrote their book and a little bit about their book is is a really neat way to forge a connection. Anyway, that being said, today we are talking to Barbara Newman who wrote the book. It's a young adult novel, The Dreamcatcher Codes. This is what the book is about. And here is the book description. Four girls, four directions, one purpose. The earth is gasping for breath. Its only hope is the sacred codes of nature. But they've been stolen, snatched by a giant raven during a raging storm. Sophia Rose, guardian of Mother Earth, has summoned Maya from the north to lead Falcon, Ava, and Yu on a quest to find the codes and save the planets. But the odds are against the young rescuers. Time is running out. The bees are dying. The oceans are filled with plastic. And a dark energy lurks in the shadows, threatening their search. I've noticed since doing the interview, the book has appeared on several best of lists. So yeah, here we go. Let's meet Barbara Newman and hear all about her books and her crafting. This is our second author segment. Tell me about yourself. Hello. Tell us about your you and your book. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Barbara Newman and I live in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. Mm. I'm a mom. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I spent a lot of years in the advertising world in New York City, writing brands, writing for brands. So I've always been a storyteller. First, maybe a 30-second story, and then it was a, an hour story. And then this came to me in a dream. And my book is called The Dreamcatcher Codes. And it's my love letter to Mother Earth. It takes two of the things that I'm most passionate about. One is girls' leadership. I have a daughter. And the other is the environment. So four girls come together from the four directions, and they are in search of a crystal horseshoe that has been broken during a raging storm. It's been stolen by a giant raven. And it's an eco-fantasy, YA fantasy, but it really spoke to me. And, you know, my hope is that this book, not only is it filled with girl power and mysticism and myth and magic and all kinds of flying horses with eagle feathers for their manes, it is really a tribute to how we can become stewards of the land. And that's just really important. And we're in a climate crisis. So this book, it builds cultural bridges, unity and hope while illuminating two really critical issues of our time, climate change and girls finding their voices and vital place in the world. And although you are not a knitter, your book sounds like it actually relates closely with knitting because, I mean, knitting is a way to use livestock in a, in a kind way. You know, it's, it's using the environment, creating clothes in a, by hand in a very environmental conscious way. And it's, it's also for generations, it's been a way women have had a voice. Uh, their creative yes. passion has been through knitting. I'm just bringing it to knitting. It's no, knitting. No, knitting, knitting, because you know what? There are a lot of metaphors in this book that pertain to knitting. First, we are all connected as human species, animal and plant species. We are not separate from the mother. We are all connected. And so these are threads, threads of connection. 
Um, I have four very diverse characters. They're a sisterhood that is braided together like sweetgrass, right? So all of these things we're weaving, the codes of nature is weaving a tapestry of nature's DNA. There are patterns in nature. It's like this sacred geometry in a zinnia or in a coral that we might not see. And those are all threads underneath. These are like the synapses. And so we're all knit together. We're knit. We're community. We are. Or crocheted. <laughs> we are crocheted. Or crocheted. Or, crocheted. Right. or we're crocheted. Or tatted. We are tatted together. Like yes. I mean, we're tatting. like a blanket. We're like the big family quilt. You know? Yes. We are quilted together also and tatted. But also dream catchers are made by hand, aren't they? they was, that's also handcraft. Yes, they are. And actually they came down from Canada, from the Ojibwe tribes. And the original pattern was crafted after snowshoes, the web of a snowshoe. Yeah, you said your mother was a knitter, right? My mother was the most fantastic knitter and she has made me many things. She's been gone for a long time. I have always kept every sweater, every scarf, every pair of mittens, whether I wear them now or not, they will forever be in my possession because they were made with such love. And I used to watch her knit and, you know, we would sit by the fire. My children went to a Waldorf school and they learned, you know, they had to do a lot of handcraft work. It was called handwork class. First, they did finger knitting. And then they had needles when they got a little older and they could actually use the needles. But that's how they learned math. Wow. The patterns were math. And my son is 25 now and he is a paramedic firefighter and he knits to relax himself. It's very meditative for him takes him back to his childhood. It takes him back to when he would knit me a scarf for the holidays and all of those wonderful handmade things. I mean, you think about the children making those potholders for us. So knitting is, I mean, it's just a beautiful practice. It's just really interesting how it can be so many things for so many different people. So as an author, people think that you just write a book and you're done. But this is it. You write a book, you, you someone published it, and the money and adulation and like sexy panties from fans just come on in. Unfortunately, that is not how it happens. So can you can you tell a little bit about your story? Because I don't know it, but I'm we all have our own story about about what's expected of us as an author and how our book came to be. Sure. So I actually traveled many places in order to write this book because it takes place all over the country. In order for me to write about the land and the earth, I had to go to those places. So I went to New Mexico and Arizona and California and Montana and all over the West and all over the East Coast. And I didn't go to Canada, but my last scene takes place in Denali. I wrote this book. I got it published. Green Writers Press is my publisher. And I went to them because I felt they were the perfect home for my book because she is very much about the environment and very much about bringing new voices out into the world. She's very pro-female. It was the perfect home. 
I looked on their webpage. They use like chlorine free paper. They use, it is very interesting how they're respecting the, the earth, just like your book in every stage of their process. Well, exactly. You know, and that's why I felt that it was such a great home for me. And when she said, yes, I was so delighted. She is a small publisher. She's an indie publisher. I really didn't know since this is my first novel, I've written many essays, but send them off and then they go into anthologies and I don't have to worry about it. This was a new experience for me. So I learned a lot after I got published. Yes, it doesn't end with the acceptance. No, it doesn't end with the acceptance. That's right. And, you know, of course, we worked super, super hard and it was put out during COVID, which is not the greatest thing for a writer. I mean, you can't really go into bookstores and, and all of that. But even with a publicist, it is very hard. You have to be your own supporter. I mean, you have to be your biggest fan. You have to be unafraid to go out there and say, I wrote a book. It's fabulous. Please read it share it, review it. And it's a business. And I don't think authors see it as a business. Right now, this is what I'm doing. I am doing nothing but promoting my book because I feel it's an important story. And if I'm not going to do it, nobody else is going to do it. I want every young girl who reads this book, not only to find her power and to know that she can make a difference, I want her to look at the natural world through new and wondrous eyes so that she is inspired to be a protector of our planet. That's worth working for. And you're seeing your dream happen. Your book is out there. And that's that's amazing. You know, just think you're an author now, no matter what else happens for the rest of your life. I mean, this is something I talked about during the last interview, or maybe just to my mom, I forget. A lot of the books I read are from the mid 1800s. They're not popular books. They're books I found from the mid 1800s. The people who wrote those had no idea that they'd make their way to Northern Canada, where I am, by the way, I'm Northern Canada, and that someone would read them and love them and be their life and vocabulary, because I've learned a lot of words, would be impacted by those books a hundred and however many, 170 years Isn't later. That wonderful? That's wonderful. And and I live in a community where Edith Wharton mm. wrote all of her books here at the Mount, which is in my community in the Berkshires, Vincent Millay, all of these like incredible Hawthorne wrote here. Moby Dick was written here by Herman Melville. His home was here. So I'm in a place where writing is really respected. You know, it's really, really respected and it's a very isolating way to live your life. Your characters become your family. They become your best friends. I miss these girls that I wrote about. I created these characters. I really miss them. You know, it's more depressing though when you're writing about history and then you realize one day everyone's dead. <laughs> that is also, I'm just, just putting it out there. At least your people are made up. It's true. Yeah. My people are made up and I can sort of bring, I can bring them back in a sequel or, yeah. a, sequel or a film. I have so much respect for the writer now that, you know, oh, you read a book. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, you read a great book. You have your favorite authors, but until you write your own book, you don't really know yeah. how much goes into it and how much it really becomes part of your life, becomes your life. And also how many strangers are taking a chance on you? I mean, it's not just the readers, it's the illustrator and the publisher and anyone who mentions your book on their Facebook page. These are all people 
going the extra step to help you. And by the way, please do that if you like a book. Do help, even if it's a famous author. We all need this. All need it. We really do. We need love. We need book love. We do. We We need book love. It feels, you know, you put so much of your heart into it. And it's just wonderful when you get the recognition and the respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, boy, you know, I will not forget, I got a review recently from an author whom I really love. And she said about my book, The Dreamcatcher Co. She said, it's the wrinkle in time for the new generation. Wow, that is lovely. And also, you know how long it took Wrinkle in Time to get published. So that a is- A really long time. A really <laughs> long time. I mean, I think she was younger than I am, but she started earlier. <laughs> that is amazing. That Because I mean, that book, is that's that an amazing special. series. Yeah. yeah, that was really special. And you don't know what, what's going to come out of you. And that's that's the other thing. Like sometimes I'll look at the book, I'll open the book, and I'll say, oh, did I write that sentence? It's really good. But you know what? It may have taken me a whole day to get that sentence right, put it into the right paragraph, to weave it, to knit it. <laughs> to tat it, exactly. Are you on social media? How can people follow you? I'm on social media. My website is barbaranewmanauthor.com. And I'm Coco underscore Nooms on Instagram. And I'm on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook as Barbara Newman. And so fun literary facts, since you said you lived where Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick, that book came out the year that sparrows were introduced in North America for the first time, 1851, both in London, I believe London, it came out in June and America in New York, it came out in October. So that is your random sparrow Moby Dick fact of the day. You're welcome. I'm here for you. And I'm here for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Yay. Every tear you cry, every doubt you have, all of these things will pass away. All of your big mistakes, your little old heart would break, wishing that I would take them back. You want to bring a word back. I want to bring so many words back, Deborah. I've just realized that as we sit here, Melanie just went to reference the note that she has on her phone of all the words she wants to bring back. There's probably 30 on there. (laughs) There are good words, people. I've been collecting them. What word are we bringing back tonight? Tonight we're bringing back the word Saturnine. What does that mean? It means slow and gloomy and... So if if someone's, you know, if you're all knitting cheerfully and someone's scowling at their crochet. Now, how do you use that in a sentence? Can you call a day Saturnine? 
I, it's more like that boy over there has a Saturnine disposition. Ah. That was you knitting the shawl of COVID doom. Yes, I was Saturnine throughout that experience. That's another way you can use it. Yes, my holiday season was rather Saturnine this year. Oh, can a, can a holiday season be Saturnine or is a person? Is it a disposition? I thought that the internet just told us it was a person's disposition. We didn't look it up on the internet. We totally knew this. You had to look it up, man. Okay, let me turn, let me open up look my it thing up. again. I'm not even pretending that I knew this word. I did know the word. I just and I actually to be sure I wasn't wrong. And I actually challenged her to saying, "Is this just an unusual word, or because if we're bringing it back, it had to be in at one point?" Saturnine setting. So no, it's not just people. It can be a Saturnine season. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is a great word. People use it. Use it. Saturnine. Except don't be Saturnine unless you want to be. In which case you're. Welcome to be gloomy. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, that's a good word. I think it is. We're a really... good word. <laughs> Man, so we're tired. tired. It was a pleasure talking to you all. Yes. Um, get <laughs> I'm some going sleep. to bed. Good night. <laughs> good night. It's neat and it's sweet. It's a ding dong treat. Knitting socks for little feet. with your knitting all day long. It's friendly and it's fun. Kittens good for everyone, and that is why we sing this kitten song. With kitten one pearl two, what's a doozer gonna do with a gall? Darn, ball and yarn, and stitch three, drop four, pitch that kitten out the door right now. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Savvy Girls Podcast. It was, as always, a pleasure to have you join us. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us through our website at www.savvygirls.ca. That's S-A-V-V-Y-G-I-R-L-S dot C-A. You can also find Melanie on Twitter at... Melanie Presents. Melanie on Facebook at... Melanie G Presents. And on Instagram at Melanie Presents. And on TikTok at Melamondial, so M-E-L-A-M-O-N-D-I-A-L-E. Yes, I should have had the same username for all of these. <laughs> um, hindsight. 2020. 2020. We have Savvy Girls... Uh, Pcast. Savvy Girls Pcast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Do you do you post on there? I do. Oh, excellent. So Melanie posts on there. And Savvy Girls Podcast on Facebook. On Facebook. So until next time, tend to, to your knitting, kitten.